Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again to the Anthony Gordon Show. It is a tremendous pleasure uh, to welcome back, and I will explain what the back means uh, in uh, in a moment. Tamir Goodman, um, who I guess, depending on your age and stage, if you were uh, around in 1999, we're pretty to the renowned sports Sports Illustrated edition uh, with Tamir. The concept of the Jewish Jordan was coined uh, overnight. Tamir went <laughs> way into the public domain, and I think life changed. But before we go into anything, Tamir, I just want to um, sort of give a 60-second uh, prelude, and that's as follows. I think the whole purpose of the show, and I think the reason why, you know, thankfully we started getting a lot of traction um, and <clears throat> a number of shout-outs from some some high-profile people is that, I think what's happened during this epidemic, this pandemic, during the fact that people are hunkered down and people are spending more time alone is I think people are doing more introspective. People are thinking about things. It's easy to be distracted and just sort of keep going and in the rat race. And people are, are thinking maybe about their lives and about what, what it's really all about. And I think that one of the things that one of the most important teachers in my life, um, Rabbi Weinberg taught me and many others and uh, I've integrated into my life is find something that you would literally die for and go out and live it. And one of the things that I find speaking to a lot of people in campuses and a lot of the millennials is that it's hard for them to really stand for anything. And I think that, you know, there's an old cliche, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So just for our listeners, I think it's, it's fitting just to mention that I think, one of the things that I think is unique, is extremely courageous, is that you stood uh, for your religious principles. You were uh, non-negotiable on being a, a Sabbath observer. And if you would have rationalized things and said, hey, you know, this is my opportunity to be part of, um, you know, the, the uh, University of Maryland, you'll explain uh, what that means. You could have jettisoned that, but you really held on to things that are immutable, that meant the world to you. And I think what I'm seeing today is that, that people are looking for, um, they're looking for direction, they're looking for things that are sacrosanct. So I think you're, you made some courageous life decisions, which makes it clearly a very fitting person to be a guest. And I think that let's start off, if you don't mind, just for our listeners' sake, Tamir, um, just a little bit about your formative years, um, I guess your journey from uh, st- starting basketball until I think you you were at the age of 17, were probably ranked the 25th best basketball player in America. Correct. Yeah, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, first of all, thank you for having me on the show and for thinking of me. 
of course. And congratulations on the success. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and I absolutely fell in love with the game at a very young age. I fell in love with it at a, a very deep level. I think um, I can remember one time specifically, I was playing outside with my older brothers, uh, one who was five years older than me, one who was seven years older than me, and they beat me. I, yeah, I, lo I lost, you know, they won. And we came in the kitchen and um, I was crying. And my brothers looked at my mother and they said, tell Tamir to just relax. It's just a game and we're older than him. You know, we're his older brothers. We're supposed to beat him. Right. And I looked at my mother and I said, you know, the game, it's not just a game for me. It means more than just a game for me. And my mother, to her credit, and my father, um, they, they never thought that was strange. They never thought that was strange. They, they gave me the green light and they, from that moment, they, they were just the unconditional love and support meant everything. And Amazing. I was to connect to a coach, coach that lived in our neighborhood and he raised me and we worked very, very, very hard. And like you say, by the time I was 17, I was ranked the 25th best um, player in the country. But what did you, what did you mean by that? I mean, what, what did you mean that it wasn't just a game for you? What, 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 what was driving you at that point in your life to say, it's a, it's a, it's a ball and this, you know, it's a net and it's, and it's, what's, what's the big deal here? Clearly there's so something I, yeah, I think it starts off with a tr tremendous amount of love and care. You have to really, really love the game. So I loved the game. I slept with a basketball. I dreamed about basketball. I um, would wake up early in the morning and shovel the snow and play. You know, I, you know, for example, I had to be at school from like 9 to 3.30. My brothers had to be from 7.30 in the morning until 6.30 at night. So what I would do is, I'd go at 7.30, I'd play until class would start, and I wouldn't go home at 3.30 with the rest of my classmates. I'd go back to the gym, and I'd play until 6.30 when my brothers were going home, and I'd go home with them. It just, wow. an, it starts off with a love and a passion. You just have to really, really love the game. And I think that combined with the upbringing, the way that I grew up, that you know, my, my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. She lived with us six months out of the year. And my father was, an, was a giant of a man. And my mother, I just grew up in an incredible home where at a very young age, I, I tried my best and, and, and I learned that I can pursue something physical, but ultimately it's about combining something physical with something spiritual and trying to better the world through that. It's not enough just to love something or just to do something to please our own ego. There's got to be a higher level, a higher dimension, a higher purpose and by doing that, that's the key to happy and more meaningful life. And my parents infused me with that at a young age. So I was able to combine the love of the game with the spirituality and um, hopefully a higher mission and a higher purpose. And that's the type of home that I grew up in. Amazing. So it's interesting. There's a lot, there's a lot of talk right now about what's going on in the soccer world with Messi uh, and what he'd be leaving uh, Barcelona. So I was watching... Uh, a couple of documentaries about Messi, and I'm not sure if you notice. I'll give the greatest soccer soccer player to to be sojourning the planet. Almost every time, if not every time, the guy scores a goal, he looks heaven bound. And there's clearly this is not just about muscles and sinew. And this is about clearly he's been endowed with a gift in the game of soccer that is is a freak. And there's a sense I think of gratitude and depth and, 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 and like you say, I think it's more than just a, a kicking a ball around. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that 
the more we tap into that as athletes or even in our professional life, the better off we will be. Because say, for example, in basketball, like if I played well, okay, I could never be satisfied because playing basketball wasn't just about me playing. It was about a greater mission. So instead of taking the day off the next day, I say, I can't be satisfied with this. I got to push myself more. There's so much more to accomplish. This isn't just about me and my own ego. There's a bigger journey here. And then when I messed up or I didn't play well and I was off track, I couldn't get too down. I couldn't feel bad for myself. I had to pick myself up and get back on track because it wasn't just about me or my ego. So it gave me a higher sense of purpose, higher motivation, uh, a better work ethic, a better drive, things that really block other players' success um, through my passion and, and, and connection to my religion. It was actually an advantage. It wasn't a disadvantage. So I, I would suggest to athletes and professionals – we shouldn't just do things because, A, I'm going to make money out of it, or B, I love it, or C, it feeds my ego or my, my cravings or whatever. That's all great. It should you know, start with that. But ultimately, if we take that passion and drive and love and we uplift it to a higher source, we're going to be able to reach higher levels than we would if it was just about ourselves. And I think Messi is a great example of that because he knows that he's worked very hard. He right. knows that he put in the time and effort. But what's uplifting him even higher is his connection to an energy that's higher to an energy that's above yep. this world that's above you know almost the rules of of gravity of this world where that that confine us and lower us and box us and yep. mold us and tell us it's like this and tell us it's like this when really we could be connected to an energy that's above all of those seemingly rules and regulations and you can accomplish higher things that way in a more happy and meaningful way so you, you know it's, i mean it's interesting Several months ago, after the tragic demise of Kobe Bryant, I was asked to speak to a bunch of college kids. I'm an Orthodox Jewish guy. I'm very much on the speaking circuit. And they asked me to speak about life lessons that we can learn from Kobe Bryant. So there's a number of things. But one thing for sure was this insane work ethic. And come rain or shine, working through pain, just being impervious to you know, you know, criticism around you, and the, and the times that you and I have spoken on the phone, I sense in you the egg timer to you is real. The sand is going through. You don't want to waste time. You're super focused. I mean, I'm also like that. What's, what's, what's driving you? What's that, the, the, the notion that, as we say in Hebrew, you know, no Beatles mind. We don't waste time. Can you articulate for our listeners who I think demographically are primarily uh, millennial college where – I, I spoke at an event uh, a couple of days ago where someone was speaking about the concept of killing time. And that's such an, it's so antithetical to, you know, I think the, the, the way that we live our lives, but clearly you've got an, in, an tremendous ethic, the way, you know, Anthony, I can't speak, my kids got to do, it's a beautiful thing to see a person who's taking this is serious. This journey is serious. We, we, we have to do something. Yeah. Well, um, when I was about 16 years old, 17, and becoming really, really, really serious about my future as a basketball player, my coach took me to play against college players. So I was 16. They were 22, 21, oh. 19, 20. They were older and stronger and better and faster. And it was the first time in my life where I tried to take a move, make a move, and they would snatch the ball away. Or I couldn't score at will. It was very difficult for me. And I got really frustrated at one point, and I put my head um, up against the mat behind the hoop, kind of like just so frustrated. And my coach said um, to me, look, we don't have to be here. We could just go home right now. 
But if you want to play in college and you want to be a professional player, you're going to have to be able to guard players like that. You're going to have to be able to score against players like that. So if you don't want to be here, let's go home. If you do want to be here and you want to accomplish this, you got to pick yourself up and get back out there and keep going. And I wiped away my tears. I picked myself back up and I, and I, and I went out there and, and I kept going. And that was a big changing moment for me in my life. And, um, and that moment, and I, and, I, and I was successful. And, and one thing that, that that story teaches me, and I remind myself of it all the time and every day, is that God is investing in us. I believe there's like 50, 60, 70 trillion cells, trillion cells working in our body every single day. That's a huge investment. Like that means that we're very important. That means that every minute is very important. Every decision we make, everything we think about, every time we help someone, Every time we create something, every time um, we overcome something and we, we wipe away our tears and we get back out there, it means something. It matters. It betters the world. It, we partner with a higher energy. We partner with our purpose. And it, we really, really matter. And what we do really, really matters. And ultimately, that's the point of this whole world is that partnership, that relationship, that building the world, fixing the world, um, you know, and, and when we realize how important we are and how special we are and, and how unique each and every one of us are and how we have blessings and we have intuitions and we have all these special blessings, we realize how can we possibly waste time? Someone's made in a huge investment in us because we're very special. And um, that's really empowering. That, that tells us we don't need to waste time. We don't need to waste even time proving ourselves to other people. We've already have the greatest uh, proof, which is that we're here in this world. You know, that's the biggest proof. So we got to take it and go full speed ahead. Beautiful. So let's build on that a little bit. Um, so I was asked to speak uh, last night for Asia Torah um, about we're just less than two weeks uh, before the Jewish New Year. Um, you know, the, the notion that we've been judged and clearly what What's going to happen in Rosh Hashanah is going to impact the year. The perforce is going to impact the decades. It will impact eternity for us. And so that we came up with the idea of just, a, I think it was five life lessons to make this the best year of, of our lives. So one of them made me think of you because I realized you and I were going to be having this chat. One of them was the importance of letting go of the past. I speak to people, Tamir, you're a prolific speaker. And Matt helped you with the podium and said, you know, could have, would have, should have. And the, you know, the idea that perhaps they would be at a different point uh, if they took a left in the road and not a right in the road. And they are almost shackled and encumbered uh, by mistakes or, or, the, 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 or, or missteps that they think they make. I want your thoughts on that specifically because as I was preparing for this, uh, chat, speaking to the production team, one guy knows basketball very well, he said, here's what I want you to ask Tamir. Let me just add a footnote, because I think that um, you, you've been, I know you've been interviewed before, I want to come at this from a completely different angle. So here's what the guy said to me. He said, Anthony, I want you to ask Tamir the following. He can look back at his life and say the following. You know, if only I had maybe uh, you know, be able to handle all the public duress and whatever and, and hung in if I would have been 
I could have been in the NBA. I could have. Isn't there a part of Tamir that looks back at his life and with and it's hard to not rent space in his head with a coulda, woulda, shoulda? I mean, it's a borderline chutzpah question, but we're here to try and hopefully impart some life wisdom. So I'm saying it with love and respect about looking at your life with any any sense of coulda, woulda, shoulda remorse because it's, it's a, it's a, it can only weigh us down if we live our lives like that. Right, 100%. Um, I'll tell you, I... Uh, Steve Harvey says, you, you can't, you can't drive if you're looking for, if you're looking in the rear view mirror, you know, yeah. you can't drive forward if you're looking in the rear view mirror. And I think there was one night when I was a young player, um, I had a terrible night shooting. I think I was like eight for 25, something like right. that in the game. And there was a tremendous amount of media at the game, international media. And at the end of the game, wow. um, at the end of the game, I didn't want to face the media. I was a young child. I was in my teens still. I didn't, I didn't want to talk to them because I knew that they were going to destroy me. And uh, my coach looked at me and he said, if you could talk to them after you play well, you need to be able to talk to them uh, when you don't play well. Amazing. And I said, well, what should I say to them? He said, go tell them I didn't play well tonight. I need to practice harder. I need to get better. So I went out there and that's what I did. And um, that was another transformative experience in my life and it taught me it taught me to always move forward to work on what we have instead of what we don't have and I think that like I, my relationship with 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 God a lot of times is is almost like Hashem my coach God is is my coach and you spend all those hours in the gym That's right. pushing and missing shots and making shots and pushing and and finally the game comes you know God is not at that game, you think about a coach, the coach, when the final game, when that big game comes, the coach is, it wants the best for you, wants you to succeed, was with you during all the dark times, was with you with all the challenges, with all the missed shots, with the injuries, with everything, and finally the game comes, he's cheering you on. This is what we did. This was the moment. And I think it's really sad and it's really hard, and I don't know how we get rid of it, but somehow the notion has become that God is upset at us. God is always looking to punish us. God is, is waiting for us to fall just so he could, you know, hurt us when really it's the opposite. God, the, the game comes, Rosh Hashanah comes. It's the championship game. This is the moment. This is, this is the moment when we go back to our core, our identity of why we were here so that we could realize how special we are and move forward. And I think that's, that's the main thing. We've all messed up. We mess up every day. We try to win the day. We try to win every moment, but we're human. We're not angels. We constantly, constantly mess up. But the uniqueness about us and the uniqueness about free choice is, is that when we mess up, we have two decisions. We could either take that mess up, put ourselves down, okay, yep. and, 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 and make it like we're not good and we're failures and we're failures and failures. The second we do that, it's just going to make us fail more. Or we could take our mess ups and say, hey, I learned from this. This, this was the greatest mistake that ever happened to me because from the specific challenge i'm going to jump higher than i would have ever jumped had it not been for that mistake and it's very important to 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 view ourselves that way it's almost like i tell my players and i, I built it from a, a different it's the same energy but the rabbis say it differently but ba young basketball players love sneakers so yep. there's a very popular shoe called the air force one okay yep. a lot almost every kid in israel and america everyone has the air force ones and they're they're, they're white on white they're beautiful I say the first time you put on your Air Force Ones and you walk into school, you feel like a million dollars. 
you get one scratch on those Air Force Ones <laughs> on the first day, you get a, you wipe it off. God forbid there should be one scratch. But what happens after three months and you're in the mud and you're in the rain and you're in the snow? You don't even care. It just gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And you, you gave up on it completely. You gave up on the shoe. And that could be how we have to view ourselves. We need to be the brand new Air Force One. We're special. Beautiful. Something tries to knock us down, just wipe it away. Stay, stay white, stay fresh, stay clean, stay new, and keep moving forward. Because the second we allow dirt, meaning we look bad, we, we give up on ourselves, we, we don't realize how special we are, it's just going to get dirtier, 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 and we cannot reach our potential that way. And that's why I look back on my life. Yes, there's been a lot of challenges. Yes, there's been a lot of struggles. But in many ways, those specific challenges and struggles were the best therapy. They were the best way for me to reach my potential. They were. I would have never been able to do what I'm doing had it not been for those challenges. So I don't think that we need to look back as challenges, as, as setbacks. We need to look at them as um, opportunities. Just means we're, we're one step closer to reaching our potential. Absolutely beautiful. So I, there, there was, as we were brainstorming tonight, Tamir, or actually earlier today with, uh, just thinking about questions, there was some, there was this very interesting point someone mentioned. I, wanna, I, want, you to, I want you to weigh in and try this on uh, for science. So here's what the person told me, and I want to see if this resonates. He said, you know, he said, Anthony, I think the reason why you've had success in the, you know, whatever, in, the, in the speaking circuit, et cetera, is that you're a religious guy, you're very young, okay, but you completely break the stereotype. As soon as you stand there and you're funny, you, you, know, you, you went to Ivy League schools, you represent famous people, the notion of religious people being people that are looking for a crutch or people that are, you know, living a myopic parochial life gets blown out the water. I see a guy like you, not only you are you not, heaven forbid, a, apologizing for the fact that, you know, you, you're a, uh, a person who's looking for meaning and, and who's an observant guy. But I think in one of the stories I saw that when Sports Illustrated came to do the article, you made sure that they actually took a photograph of you putting on your phylacteries, your tefillin, to say, but there's more to me than getting this ball into. So I think that the role that, that both of us, but certainly you've played in a, more, in, 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 in a very different way, is that the, the notion of being successful in life, you integrate your spiritual life, you integrate your physical life, and, and you don't necessarily perpetuate the notion that spirituality is this marginal thing. It's for a bunch of guys that are, are meditating somewhere in India. It's a fantastic thing, Tamir, that, you know, you're out there and you, you become, become a role model for a lot of kids because it becomes so much more normal and, uh, you know, to integrate those two worlds. Well, I think if you ever watch a basketball game and there's a great shooter that's struggling, okay, there's an old basketball trick. Find a way to get to the free throw line. In other words, you miss a shot, you miss another shot. The third time, most likely the player is going to go towards the basket. Someone's going to foul them, and they're going to get to the free throw line. And you'll hear the broadcaster say, if the player makes these two free throws, their confidence is going to come back, and they're yeah. going to be able to make the next couple shots. What is it about the free throw? What does the free throw represent that can answer this question? The, re the free throw line represents our identity. It represents who we are. And when a challenging time comes, okay, and we get knocked down and we're missing shots, we can't run away and try to be somebody that we're not. The best way to reach our potential, the best way to come back on track, the best way to overcome things is to go back to our true identity, to who we are. 
the second you make those two free throws. And every time you shoot a free throw, it's got to be the same way. It's got to be the consistency. It's got to be over and over again. You take two dribbles every time, then that's what you do. Two dribbles, two dribbles, two dribbles, two dribbles. That why that way, when there's a lot of pressure, your mind and body will already know what to do. Boom, boom, bucket. Boom, boom, bucket. It's called um, muscle memory. It'll already know what to do, and then and then you can handle the challenges. And I think that's what the world is focusing on more than ever now. Like we need to have a strong identity, whatever that is. If you're Jewish, you have your strong identity. People will respect that because you're going to respect yourself. And it shows the confidence. It shows that, like, you can handle tough situations. You're, you, you know, society isn't dictating what you can or cannot accomplish. You're dictating what you can or cannot accomplish. You're not flowing in different directions. You know who you are and where you're going. And, and the point of that is when you have a strong identity. Like, that's, to me, what the, the free throw represents. And, and that's how... I, when Sports Illustrated came and asked me the questions, well, I'm not just a regular basketball player. You know, this isn't just about basketball. This is who I am. And that's probably why all these years later, we're still talking about it because people, when we attach ourselves to who we truly are, it's, 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 you, we attach ourselves to an energy that's almost like past, present, and future. Cause it's, Beautiful. it's not like, Hey, I'm going this way today. I'm going that way today. I'm all over the place. You know, if you think about the menorah, the, the, the golden menorah in the, in, the, in the Holy Temple, they say it was carved out of one piece of gold. It wasn't like put together different pieces, which teaches us that if you want to be the menorah, you want to bring the light out to the world, you got to be one solid piece of gold. It knows exactly who you are, and then you can bring the light out. But if we're like patched up here, patched up here, a little bit there, a little bit there, we, we certainly just cannot be as powerful as we could potentially be if we compared to when we have a really strong identity. I love that. And let me, uh, I, when I spoke the other, the other day to add to that, so I told these, um, you know, these college kids that there's no singular in the Hebrew language for face. Panim seems plural. Why? Because you can really only have true peace of mind. You can really only feel a sense of being centered if your external and your internal are in parity. That's, that's the concept, what, exactly what you're saying. You've got to feel wholesome and be true to yourself and be authentic. And I look at a lot of the kids out there today, uh, Tamir. It's very, very hard where it's all about fear of missing out. Their whole sense of self-esteem is directly correlated to likes, who's following them. And they haven't built their internal world. And it's almost like they're building their whole life to placate or to be accepted by other kids. And at some point the wheels come off. I see it a lot. Yeah. Well, I would just add to what you say, like panim in Hebrew means, um, you know, it's in plural. It's not singular. Everyone, everyone's face, not just my face, everyone's face. And I think that something that can answer that question, something I think about all the time is in Judaism, we're taught we can't make an image of God. You know, why can't we make one single image of God? Because everybody's face, every person, every human being has a piece of God in them, in their face, in their heart, in their soul. We're, everyone's attached to God, so we can't make it one version. We can't. It's, it's everyone. Every single person has God. I have godliness in me. You have godliness in you. And, and everyone we see has a special level of godliness in them that is just unbelievable. And I think what we need to do and, and, and what I try to do through basketball is to teach that. I have a level of godliness. I'm very important. The person next to me also has a piece of godliness. I need to view them as important and look at each and every person as a piece of God instead of um, someone who's negative, someone who could inspire me, someone who brings me down, someone who's a bully to me, 
Um, this person will give me a like on Instagram. This person doesn't give me a like on Instagram. You know, we're so not uh, rooted when we have that type of energy. We're letting other people uh, determine how we're go- what we're going to accomplish and we're not going to accomplish and, and, and what, whether we're going to be happy or we're not going to be happy. And I think we need to get back to realizing we're really important and everybody around us is, is, is just as important, is just as special. And when we have that mutual respect, it should be able to lead to better things than the way things are going in a lot of ways right now. Very, very well said. So I, I, I've also noticed that in your basketball camp, and also just the way you speak, I think basketball has become sort of a pedagogical tool to help these kids understand life, understand adversity. And it seems to me that a successful graduate of the Tamir Goodman uh, Bass is a person who's not only, you know, knows how to, how to throw three points away, but as a person who's learned important tools for life outside of the court, which is unbelievable. It's boot camp for life. Yeah. I, um, when I was in high school, the principal came over to my coach and he said, hey, coach, are we going to have a good season this year? And the coach said, I don't know. I'll let you know in 30 years. And the principal's like, what do you mean? He said, well, in 30 years from now, if my players are good husbands, leaders in their community, um, successful and nice people, then I know we had a good season. And um, the the principal didn't really understand it. But really, that's what basketball is all about. And the other day on LinkedIn, I I posted a a video of um, me shooting at my um, on my device that I invented, the Zola 90. Like a little bit more than two minutes, and I don't, I don't miss a shot. I made every shot for like I think it's two minutes and thirty seconds. And someone wrote to me, uh, "Do you ever miss something like that?" And and I wrote back, "The reason I made every shot in this two minute clip was because of the thousands and millions of shots Amazing. that I missed." You know, yep. so that's what basketball is all about. It's about hard work, resilience, time management, teamwork, communication, focus strategic planning, bouncing back, reacting, rebounding, finishing things all the way to the end, time management, all of this is, is, is basketball. You know, I'm, I'm involved in like scouting and helping yep. players get to different teams and stuff. And that's what coaches are looking for. They're looking for players that obviously have the skill set, but just as equal and maybe even more is, you know, what's their attitude? What's, yep. what's, how, do, how do they transform challenges? How do they react you know you know they ask questions like nowadays like what happens if you don't get in the game when you were supposed to get in the game what would you be thinking at that moment you know these are the things that really help us in life and and that's what we try to teach the basketball i i think i understand now the concept that you said to your mom you know that's this is not just a game it, it sounds like you know for you this is um it's a, it's a toolbox and that that's empowers you to handle this whole journey, which which is which is an unbelievable way of, of using your God-given talent. Yeah, I think athletics is is an amazing way of life. It, it it's how you eat, it's how you sleep, it's how yeah. you react, how you communicate, it's how you view challenges, it's how you view wins, it's how you know. In our house, everything is based on on athletics. Everything. My wife was an athlete. And this is, this is basically our whole house here is like a locker room. It's run like a locker room, you know, and, uh, 
very, very blessed for that. And, and there's so many times throughout the day and the year that we just look at each other and, and we just say, thank God we have the athletic mindset to, and the teamwork to live the way we live. Amazing. Well, if you, if you, if you had to, if I sat down with you and your wife uh, independently and I said, Tamir, to you, what are the main principles, life lessons, tools that you want to inculcate into your kids? And then separately, I'll ask your wife the same question. Two things. A, do you think you and your wife would say the same thing? And B, what are they? And I'm, I'm saying this as, um, because I think that's the underpinning very much of, of, of the show. And that is, the, you know, the, the importance you get one shot during the formative years of the next generation before the cement dries, um, you know, to really improve to, to really uh, to give over certain tools and, and give over a bit of a GPS for, for direction. And, and it's, it's amazing when you, you reach a point when your kid reaches a, a certain point, you realize they're, the, they're their own adults and they're, you know, they're off to the races. So I'm very interested to know how, how well thought through is the, the education to your kids and, 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 you know, um, and what you can maybe share to our listeners, many of whom are young parents, uh, that you think are, you know, some of the most important things that you can that, that you can give over to to kids, uh, you know, during their formative years. Yeah, well, I could say that my wife and I would probably answer the exact same way. Uh, I I can't think of one thing in my life, not one thing in my life that I'm not absolutely one million percent on the same exact page as my wife in in every wow. single category. I can't think of one, not even close, not even not even one. Not even close. So I think I think that um, the lessons are all the same. We've been blessed with five kids, but it's important for any young parents. You can teach the same lesson in a different way to each kid. Okay, the way I teach, you know, one of our kids about respect could be totally different than the way I teach another one of our kids about respect. You know, for one kid, it could be through the language of basketball. For one kid, it could be through the language of gymnastics, one of our daughters. And every kid processes things and, and understands things differently. And very, very, very important to get to know your child, who they are, what they like, what they don't like, what triggers them, what inspires them, what makes them sad, what's going on in the classroom, what's their homework, who's their friends, what are they watching. You know, these things are very important so that you can communicate to your, to your child in a way that's best for them, not in a way that's best for us as parents, okay? Um, that's the first thing I would think about. The second thing is, um, what we really try to teach our kids is number one, that they're very special and they're unique and there's nobody in the world like them. Number two, they need to take their blessings and, 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 and even their challenges and even their struggles and, and use it in a way to better the world and inspire other people. For example, um, you know, I'm very dyslexic, okay? I could help a kid that's dyslexic much more than someone who isn't dyslexic, you know, because they understand me more than someone who isn't. They don't understand what I'm going through. So we teach our kids, even if you have a challenge, it could be there, you know, not only for you to reach your potential, but you can inspire other people that may be going to something similar that someone else wouldn't be able to inspire them for. So that's another really important thing. We teach them very much about respect, not, not only respecting people and, and elderly and they were respecting the house, respecting the property, respecting time. Um, we really, really focus on safety and respect. 
Um, and uh, we really want them to enjoy life. We focus on like teaching them to see like the small things, appreciate the small things, building up a thing where they could like look outside, see the tree and say, wow, look at the moon. Wow, this is amazing. Like little triggers that make you happy throughout the day. Um, we focus a lot about healthy living and eating the right things and taking care of our bodies. And uh, we talk a lot about faith and perseverance and transcendence. Um, uh, we talk a lot about family, a lot about goals. And, you know, just like things, same thing that everyone else talks about. But I think the, the important thing is to remember that there's a certain language for each kid. And they must know at all times, whatever we're telling them, we're telling it to them because we absolutely love them and want the, everything in their best interest. Like, instead of saying to a kid, like, why are you doing that? Like, what are you doing? That, that's not really helpful. You have to, we have to say it. And even at the start, we say, look, really, really love you. Really want to help you. Want you to have an amazing life. And I'm telling you this because I believe in you and I love you. Yep. And I know that this is going to help you. And then it, it speaks to them much more. Beautiful, beautiful. So I usually try and wrap up um, our conversation with one or two questions, which we're going to go through. But I, you know, one thing that, that, that people ask me to ask you, um, and that, that the, you know, the, recent, uh, the recent conversion of, of Amir Stadema to, to Judaism caused a little bit of a buzz for a lot of people. And um, I'm just interested you know, how, how much did that have ripple effects you know, in your circles, uh, you know, former NBA star converting to Judaism? Uh, and just your comments and thoughts on it, because there's obviously in the Jewish world in, in America, uh, you know, it, it was definitely the, uh, the content of a lot of dialogue. Yeah, well, I'll just tell you what I told him, okay. and which is what I believe. And I, and I said, look, Amari, you have accomplished things that are literally out of this world in the yep. first part of your career. But I, I believe in a lot of ways, what you've accomplished in the second part of your career took more courage, more faith, stronger stance, maybe even a stronger work ethic. And I'm so proud of you for that because wow. for what you've done in the second part of his career, it, 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 it's, so, it's so brave. It's so brave on so many levels. It's so different. It's so unique. And, um, that's what I told him. I think that the life lesson of taking the road less traveled, of listening to his inner convictions, of the courage, perhaps not popular. I'm sure some people thought he had, you know, he, he'd completely flipped out, but he stuck it through. And it's I think that it's tremendous kudos. It's amazing. The, just wrapping up a basketball, and then we want to do the, the two final questions that I ask all guests is, What's your sense of the quality of basketball in Israel on a professional level versus the NBA or Europe? Well, right now it's at an all-time high right at this moment because we have two uh, players, Israeli players, that are entering the NBA draft this year for the first time ever. I saw that. Two, two very talented players, and I can tell you personally that there's a tremendous amount of um, interest in them from the highest levels of basketball. Wow. And that's a great, great accomplishment for the state of Israel and for the that's basketball it. in wow. Israel. And, you know, it started with Omri and then Gal Mecca and then Coach David Black. And yep. now, boom, just like that, we have two, two players. Um, Amazing. So that's very exciting. Obviously, um, you know, the, the league here isn't on the level of the NBA, but we're developing really great players. A lot of really great players want to play in Israel over other countries. And if we're looking now what happened in the bubble, 
I'm, I'm almost 100% sure the first league, professional league, to come back to yep. playing pandemic was Israel. Yep. And they finished the league, and they didn't have one problem. There wasn't one – I don't think there was one issue of corona, anything. They were the first – we were the first country to figure out how to bounce back and handle this. So I think that was very impressive as well. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. So uh, I want to be respectful of your time. You've been absolutely terrific. You've, you've uh, The comment that I made to the listeners at the beginning uh, was, you know, I want to thank Tamir again uh, for the edification of our listeners. Uh, I think it's really, it speaks volumes, Tamir, that we had probably a whole 40 minutes together, which didn't come out. So I appreciate you coming back. Uh, and, and, I, and I think the reason that I really sort of uh, pursued this is because I think that your story is not about basketball alone. I think your story is about, is about um, really having the intestinal fortitude to overcome. I saw the dyslexia. I didn't realize until I started researching it for the show how dyslexia can affect a person in basketball. To me, it was flipping up letters. But then I started realizing uh, just the, the spaciousness, the dimensions. It, it, it's, it's amazing that instead of sitting in the corner and feeling sorry for yourself, you, you know, you rose above that. And I think that, that, that everyone out there has some pain, has something that they're dealing with. And I think that you, in many ways, uh, you know, taking you as a, as a, as a role model is, is unbelievable. So here's the two questions I'd like to sort of ask most guests. And that is, you're turning 99 years old. You've got your, your wife, your spouse, your best friend to your right. You've got your kids around. You've got your grandkids. Huge cake. A lot of candles, boom microphone is going around, and they, the boom microphone is uh, moving to your wife, kids, the closest people that uh, that you know, the cl- closest people to 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 you for through the decades of your life. What do you want them to be saying about you? Um, I the, I think the ultimate compliment that a human being could get is that when it's all said and done when God decided to bring your soul down to this world and saw that vision and saw that potential and and why the soul was supposed to come down here, did we reach that potential? Did we, did we accomplish everything God was hoping we would accomplish when, when he invested in us uh, by bringing our soul down to this world? And if, if we could come close to that, um, I think that's the greatest, that's the greatest compliment a human being could, could ever receive in my opinion. Beautiful. So let me wrap this up by saying, um, you know, as the curtain comes down on at least the Jewish calendar and we, you know, less than a couple of weeks from now, we hopefully press reboot for, uh, for a new year. Just any, any thoughts um, to our listeners, and it can be, you know, Jew, Gentile alone, about things that everyone's come through a very brutal year with the coronavirus is, directly or indirectly affected anyone's a lot of stress people have lost loved ones um just some thoughts on um you know how we can empower ourselves to instead of you know to see these stumbling blocks as stepping stones and hopefully look ahead for a successful year right so i think that the torah um i heard a class about this which is just so fascinating when it says when it speaks of repentance uh and and returning to ourselves, which is this time of year, it uses the word va'ata, which means now. Why would we say now when talking about repentance? And it, I think the power of now is the perfect answer for the pandemic and the perfect answer for Rosh Hashanah, which means now means 
right in this specific moment during this pandemic, there are certain sparks, there are certain blessings that there are certain levels or certain growth that otherwise we would have never been able to reach. And it's right at this exact moment. Now, 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 this is a chance. This is a big game. This is the moment. This is the time to fly right now, specifically with everything going on. And the second thing that now teaches us is that whatever happened in the past, whatever trials, tribulations, we can't make ourselves victims. We can't blame our situations. We can't, we have to acknowledge them. Okay, I had this struggle. This happened to me. This isn't, I have to acknowledge it. But that has nothing to do with what's going on right now. Right now. So many times we're so dragged down by things that happened in the past, decisions we made in the past, and it's almost impossible to move forward because of that. I, I can't do what I want to do now because I'm dyslexic. I can't do what I want to do now because when I was nine years old, it's true. It's, it's all there. It all happened. But if we make ourselves a victim and feel bad for ourselves, we, it's going to be really hard to, to, to live in the now. And we know now more than ever how important it is to be mindful, mindfulness of this exact moment. And I think that's what, if I had to sum it up right now, I'd, I'd, I'd sum it up in the word now. It's not my word. It's, it's the old Torah teaching that's been brought down by the rabbis, but I'm just sharing it that I think is very relevant. So I want to thank you for your time, Tamir. And um, I think that you've done tremendous things in terms of reaching your potential. I think there's so many life lessons um, that you've imparted to our discussion today. There may not be all of our listeners that might reach your level of success in basketball, but I think that you've given some incredibly powerful tools that there's another there's another game, so to speak, that we all play, and that's the game of life. And I think you've given some unbelievable ideas that everyone out there can, can shoot their own three-pointer. And I want to wish you and your family a happy, a healthy, a successful year. And God willing, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon in Israel. And I wish you continued success and only good things. Thank you, Baslacha. Thank you to you and blessings to you, your family, and all the listeners. And thank you to producers for their, and everyone involved in the show for their extra patience and making this happen so late at night. Fantastic. Thanks again, Tamir. Thank you. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.